Bob's out there. Welcome to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast. I'm your host, Nick Yeager, and with me today are John. Hi, Bob. Virginia. Hi, Bob. And Scott. Hi, Bob. Today we will be discussing episodes three, four, and five of season one. I'll start with a synopsis of all three episodes and then we'll get to the questions. So, episode three, Nixon's Women. The episode opens with a flashback where Gordo meets Tracy. It turns out she's a pilot too, and far from being intimidated by her skills, Gordo's impressed. And him being cool with it actually impressed me, so well done, Gordo. Her piloting credentials become relevant when Nixon reacts to the Russians putting a woman on the moon by insisting that NASA also train women astronauts. Deke is tasked with making this happen, and to his credit, He doesn't just want some rando who can be used as a PR stunt, he wants a legit astronaut. To that end, he digs up some women who are part of Mercury 13, which was a real life program in 1959 that sought to train female astronauts. And 13 women managed to pass all the same tests as the men, but the program never went anywhere in real life because sexism, Um, but also because it was never actually sanctioned by NASA, it was funded privately. I feel like the show implied it was a NASA thing, but in any case, in the show, Deke gathers two of the Mercury 13, Molly Cobb, who is clearly an homage to the real life Jerry Cobb, and Patty Doyle, who I I don't think she's based on anyone real. Among the new recruits are Danielle Poole, who is a black engineer already working at NASA, Ellen Waverly, who's quite the go-getter, and Tracy, who was recruited because she's beautiful and blonde and married to an astronaut. And Nixon wants someone hot and famous to front the program. Once again, Gordo is surprisingly supportive. Meanwhile, Karen is losing her absolute shit over the news that NASA is allowing women to be considered valid human beings. Jealous much? (laughs) No wonder she's named Karen, am I right? I mean, it's just embarrassing. Molly dominates in the program and proves herself to be equal to men in all ways, including assholery. Tracy struggles, but proves her mettle when she helps Ellen during the desert survival training. And then during training in the lunar landing vehicle, Patty dies and shit gets real. So we'll move on now to episode four, Prime Crew. Now that Patty's dead, Nixon and NASA want to shut down the women astronaut program. And John Glenn takes a giant sexist shit all over women, just like he did in real life. But Deke defies orders, and he bumps Gordo off of Apollo 15 in favor of Molly. NASA and Nixon are eager to keep setting up their moon lab because of uh, continued competition with the Russians. They've discovered evidence that there might be water on the moon, so they're very excited about mining it and beating the Russians to that. Meanwhile, um, turns out Ellen is a lesbian and she's in a relationship with Pam, the bartender. Larry, one of the NASA engineers is also gay and he and Ellen decide to pretend to be a couple to cover up their parallel secrets. Margot also has a secret, much more dire than being gay. 
dun, 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 she has a life. Um, and it involves playing piano in a jazz bar. Episode five, Into the Abyss. Ed and Molly are on the moon searching for water, but they need to make a last minute course correction to increase their chances of finding said water. Molly, uncharacteristically, is hesitant to break their fight plan because she's finally realized that she's a role model for girls and that all womankind will be set back if anything goes wrong because she'll be blamed rather than the dudes. Up to this point, she's had friction with everyone, men and women alike. But now she's starting to see the gravity of the situation. No pun intended. <laughs> but she gets to have her hero moment when she crawls into a crater and finds ice. And she and Ed finally bond over how they're both egotistical narcissists. But at least Molly doesn't have a son she's traumatizing with her bad parenting. Meanwhile, Molly's husband, Wayne, back home, is nervous about possibly losing Molly on the moon, and he manages to get Karen to pull the stick out of her ass just a little bit as she confesses that, yeah, she's living in a constant state of terror due to Ed's dangerous job. Danielle has been assigned to Apollo 18, along with Gordo. Her Vietnam vet husband comes home and gets into an argument with Gordo about how war sucks and how Gordo never served because he got the opportunity to join NASA instead, an opportunity not afforded to most and certainly not to a Black man in the 1960s. And the episode ends with a two-year time jump to 1973 with the landing of Jamestown, the first lunar base. So, questions. Uh, John, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Let's talk about Karen and her reaction to the female astronaut program. Did it surprise you? And did it change your opinion of her? So I, I did write down my answer. I'm debating whether or not to read it, um, where I could be um, eloquent or just speak, where I could possibly be uh, less good talker. I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it did surprise me. And yes, it did change my opinion of her. Um, Although I didn't think it was unrealistic by any stretch. It was just disappointing. One of the things the show does so well is provide nuance for their characters so that over time, uh, people who could have easily been caricatures or stereotypes do get the chance to surprise you. And sometimes, you know, for the worse. Uh, but by that same token, it lets characters evolve and change as well. <laughs> I feel like when we were first introduced to Karen, she was sympathetic, but she becomes less and less so as the series goes on. I mean, I don't want to discuss what she eventually does, mm -hmm. but I feel like she's still likable in spite of all her foibles. Yeah, I don't think there was a, well, there was a point much later <laughs> that I that I do get to. Yeah, but like, sticking like, with what we just, know so far. Yeah, but like there's nothing, <laughs> I, never, I never find her unlikable, like, even in this. It's like I said, it's just disappointing because it, it reminds you that, oh, right, this is, you know, this is the 60s. Yeah. And and that is like to think otherwise is not the norm. It is, it is the progressive thing. It's on the horizon. It's changing. The tide is turning, but it has not yet turned. So the fact that a white woman in Texas isn't necessarily the most progressive in 1960, whatever, it's not super surprising. Mm -hmm. Virginia, you agree? Well, I think it's, I think it's less about them being women and more about them jumping the line, so to speak, because I was getting the, but like Karen is not just thinking about Ed's sacrifices and the, 
the things that he's done, but also like everything that she sacrificed to be with him and raise his son and keep his house and everything. And they're not having to go through the things that she had to go through, that Ed had to go through. And so I think it's more about, I think it's more about that than it's like, oh, women shouldn't be astronauts kind of thing. Yeah, she just wants people to stay in their lane. And she's upset that Tracy is suddenly getting something that she heretofore thought was impossible. Yeah. I'm going to stay with you, Virginia. Uh, The show mixes history with fiction. Did this induce you to look up and study the real history after each episode? And so more specifically, did you already know about the Mercury 13? Were you intrigued to research it after seeing it portrayed here? I knew about Mercury 13 in as much as I've seen the documentary on Netflix about Mercury 13, which came out in 2018. Um, It was fascinating. I looked up a bunch of stuff right after that because women in the space program, please sign me up. And it was, it was really cool slash disheartening to see like these women could keep up with them and yet they don't get, they don't get the accolades. They don't get the opportunities. It's just like, well, you know, you can do it, but really whatevs. You can do it, but we won't let you. Yeah. But other like other historical things that I was thinking about while we were like little tiny things that I'm like, did that really happen that way? I need to look it up and see if that happened that way. The, the one big thing that stuck out, which actually jumps back to episode one, but plays out through several episodes is when the Soviets land on the moon, the news announcer or somebody says that Ted Kennedy has canceled his trip to Chappaquiddick. Mm. which is like Mm -hmm. the big thing you know and I'm like was it that was it that trip I need to look and like because he was a senator from there he probably went there all the damn time and I was like oh yeah it was it was that that Mm -hmm. fateful trip and so I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about if I should explain for the audience yeah explain for the audience so July 1969 Ted Kennedy goes to Chappaquiddick which is near Martha's Vineyard, I think, has a party. Some women who had worked with his brother, Robert Kennedy, um, were there kind of like a rehashing old times kind of thing. And late that night, Ted Kennedy later claims he's giving this woman, Mary Jo Kopechny, Mary Jo Kopechny, a ride to the ferry to get back to the mainland or whatever. He takes a wrong turn, crashes off a bridge, Bridge goes in the water, he escapes, she drowns. The thing about it is though, he escapes, claims that he tries to, you know, try to rescue her, can't do it. And so then goes to his hotel room, sleeps it off, doesn't call the authorities until the following morning, like nearly 12 hours later. And so because of that, he never ran for president or he didn't run for president in 72 or 76 because the stain on his political career would not have withstand the scrutiny that would come with like a national race. And so if that trip never happens and Mary Jo Kopechny doesn't die and Ted Kennedy does not have this reputation. And then what happens after that? I can't remember if we've gotten that far in the show because we all know what happens, but I can't remember if we've gotten that far yet. But just like that one little thing, he doesn't go to the party in Chappaquiddick and the entire face of American politics is probably going to change over the next 30 years. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there. Are, I'm sure there are other things like that in the show as well, where they 
because of one little thing, there ends up being a huge departure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, for sure. The the next thing like that I can think of hasn't happened in the show yet. I think that's, you know, it might even be next season. But yeah, like I, I, I took note of that too. Mm. Scott, it, does the show make you want to research these things? To, to a degree, um, though I admit my desire to look things up is usually not as strong as my aversion to going out of my way to do research. Um, so there, <laughs> there there weren't a whole lot of things over the course of the three seasons that we've watched uh, that I did look up myself. There were a, a few things here and there. Normally, if I needed some clarification, I would just message Rick and say, <laughs> hey, what's the what's the skinny on this thing? Because... You were alive then. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rick. I, was <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to call him old right. i think he was um, <laughs> actually to be to be fair <laughs> but uh, he's 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 a big fan of this stuff he's a mm-hmm. he, mm-hmm. he's a nasa wonk if someone's gonna know it's gonna be him and by asking him the questions i can get you know more direct answers that i don't have to you know dig for so that's how i got my my background information on the actual history while going through the series okay scott now i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot and i'm ask, gonna ask you to Put yourself in the mind of Margot. Why do you think she hides her secret life from her colleagues? Uh, this is actually an aspect that really had me thinking a lot when it was first revealed. It's It, it was very much a surprise uh, when I first saw her in the bar playing piano, actually you know, allowing herself to, to express in some way, even if she was doing it low key. Uh, clearly she was making sure that she went someplace where no one in the rest of her life, meaning NASA, meaning virtually the entirety of her life would ever find her. She didn't go to the outpost. She goes to this little dive bar that no one's heard of. And she plays there where no one else is going to notice her, but she can still lose herself in the music and, and express herself in that way there are other like tributaries of thought that you could go down like does does she appreciate music because of the inherent mathematics that uh that are intertwined with music or is it is it just that she she likes the tunes there there are lots of questions you can ask about it but i i loved that they showed us this other side of her and i think i i could be wrong because i'm notorious for uh, being a poor judge of fictional characters, um, it could very well be that she she wants this release. It's something that that brings her joy without expectations, like like she has at work. But she's also so introverted that she does not want to share it with anyone that she knows or that knows her. She's still keeping it confined to just herself. It's just it's her private little thing whereas some people would want to share that with with you know friends or acquaintances or family she doesn't really have any and she's not going to be bothered with making any friends in order to share this with them so this is just her little thing the the one thing outside of nasa that she devotes any 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 time to and when honestly in in the recaps i can't remember uh if molly sees her yes Plain okay so she does okay. yeah and right. then she like snaps at molly and says like you know do not tell anyone about this yeah and and that fear that molly is going to blow the whistle and let 
literally anyone know that Margot likes music, plays piano, does anything outside of JSC. That terror that she is going to be outed as a musician carries over for for multiple episodes. And she is simultaneously terrified of Molly because she holds this power, but also antagonistic toward Molly because I, I think she she sees her as as a threat, as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't had that encounter at the bar, then I don't think that Margot would have been as heavy-handed, as as heated with Molly when it came down to the the come to Jesus moment. Mm-hmm. You you, you got to get your shit wired because this is more than just you. You're making mistakes, and none of us can afford that. You have to be perfect. And it was something Molly needed to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so not only did did that encounter at the bar allow Margot to to say that where she where she might not have before it also gave her the the way that she said it the energy that she had when she said it made molly hear her and and actually realize that she was right john virginia anything to add i think even if they hadn't met at the bar Margot still would have lit into molly the same way for all the reasons that she did no one knows more than Margot all eyes are on you and you can't mess up. Hmm. You can't mess up and you're screwing up and you're not screwing up because of lack of ability or something you can't control. It's just because you got a shitty attitude. Right. And that's not going to fly. No pun intended. Like that's not going to work. That's not okay. You need to do better. Right. Especially because like Margot takes everything so seriously. So seeing someone else be really flippant about it, is mm-hmm. offensive like in a, on a professional level but also a personal level yeah well i guess speaking of uh, women these episodes expose the sexism and racism of the 70s uh, but they're portraying something much milder than what was actually likely going on in that time and place um i feel like the men in the show should probably be displaying even more overt sexism than they are like they should there should be more people who are like john glenn and there should probably be more racial tension but I feel like if they showed that, then we wouldn't have the same storylines and the characters wouldn't be as likable to a modern audience. So John, do you think the show strikes the right balance between acknowledging the discrimination of the time with you know, our, our modern, if you will, woke sensibilities? I'm gonna read my answer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but yes, short answer, short answer is I do, think it strikes, I do think it strikes a good balance. I mean, you know, pulling the camera back full is like, the show has already exists in an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to think that the way prejudices work and racism works and sexism works here, it would work to the same degree or in the same way there. I don't necessarily, I don't think of the show as especially woke. Uh, to me, woke isn't just acknowledging that different kinds of people exist. It's like, it's putting forth an agenda. And, you know, Woke's a loaded turn anyway, and I think it's yeah, largely bullshit. For lack of a better word. Yeah, but for the for the for the purposes of the conversation, to me, woke means like you should feel this certain way, you should behave in a certain way when encountering you know this type of person or these type of people or whatever. And this show doesn't really do that. It just it just presents different perspectives, like. They don't really spend a lot of time. Like there's a scene where where uh, Danny and her husband, you know, are having drinks with um, um, 
Gordo. Ed, Ed and Gordo, yeah. And they go into it a little bit, but they don't really, like, they don't spend a lot of time talking about it. It's like, I think it's pretty much just that scene. And then other stuff kind of happens off off camera. And, you know, the, the storyline with the gay characters, I think even in the next episode, um, it doesn't necessarily... The characters do what's best for them, not necessarily what's best for the quote unquote gay agenda. Mm-hmm. That to me would be woke. Mm-hmm. But this is just, these are just well written characters who happen to be th- this other thing. So, short answer is yes, I do think it strikes a good balance. And I don't, to cite another one of my favorite shows that's set in the 60s, Mad Men, that acknowledges these things are happening, but the show's not about that. Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and and the fact that they they do strike the good the balance that they do if they went too far if they didn't acknowledge it at all or if they acknowledge it too much frankly it would make it a worse show so they uh, yeah I think they got the mix right Virginia is like is the show to any extent almost like wish fulfillment for you as a woman seeing all these uh like female astronauts achieving things I love it yeah I, I can't even lie I love seeing all the female astronauts Please give me more. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, not to, me too. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, not just the women of it, but the blackness of it. Like, like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it would be great if, if like, there really were, things really were just merit-based. Mm. And, um, yeah. you know, Deke isn't the most woke individual, but he's like, he's like, no, I don't, I don't care what you are. You need to pass the test. You pass the test, you're good. Yeah. He's consistent. Yeah. He's, He's consistent, consistent between any gender, yeah. Yeah. D- despite his personal feelings. He, <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> which is, you know, notable. Okay, uh, moving on. Scott, do you agree with Molly that the type of people who accomplish great things are by nature selfish and lacking in empathy? In the... In the basic broad sense, no, I do not agree with with the character's uh, assessment. I think that it, it is entirely possible, and it's even happened, where altruistic, selfless people can do and have achieved great things. Though I absolutely believe that Molly, written as she is, being a selfish and... Uh, non-empathetic person who is achieving great things would believe that all people who achieve great things are just like her and that's a testament to how they've written the character you can i think you can tell in the scene that she thinks that but it's really because she just thinks that that great achievers must be just like her Mm. right i guess she's just like trying to make excuses for her own shitty behavior by saying like you know i i should be allowed to get away with it because look at all these cool things i'm doing yeah whether she she truly believes it or whether she's just telling herself that that's how it is or trying to make ed feel better about being a bad dad the worst (laughs) the worst I, I was gonna say, yeah, I think I think it's probably all of the above. I, yeah. I I I do think that she believes it, and I think she's legitimately jaded because you know she was one of the people who were um, in line to be astronauts before, 
and 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 she's consistently saying, yeah, you know, they're only going to let us get so far. She 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 does not believe this thing is going to happen until like it actually happens. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess she's earned her cynicism. I guess is how I would I would put it. Right. Yeah. It For was interesting to see like her entire. I guess attitude change when she's in the rocket and like she's it's just wonder she's just mm. has all of this wonder on her face and like I'm going to the moon and like yeah. here's the ice so like she's just fascinated with everything and seems to be like way more receptive to the little girl's letter that Deke read over the mm. phone whereas right, yeah. she was in the hall earlier she's like I don't need no stinking fan mail or whatever there's a definite shift as soon as, as soon as she was in that rocket I thought yeah, no, absolutely. I think she was up to that point, you know, several times in the previous episodes, she kept saying like, oh, this is going to get shut down, just like Mercury 13 was shut down. Mm-hmm. So she's she's protecting her own emotions by being cynical and by convincing herself that this is not going to happen. So then when she's actually on the rocket, she, she can finally let her joy come through. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't think she actually, I think she may be narcissistic, but not actually, uh, you know, um, a clinical narcissist like she's not sociopathic I don't think no. I say this as I mean again this is really anecdotal but like I have met a couple like actual sociopaths in real life and uh wow is all I can say to that <laughs> and so I don't think any anyone in the show I don't think any of these characters are that I think they're just yeah they're just selfish and they're they've you know they've They've got their eye on the prize and they they do what they got to do. But I don't think any of them are like truly completely lacking in empathy. Yeah, I I don't think so. And I, I think I think Margot's talking to kind of shook Molly awake. Like, she, you know, she was kind of just on 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 um, on asshole autopilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Margot's like, no, you need to be aware of what you're doing and what the effect is. And I think actually going up in the rocket, like you said, Virginia, like that was kind of the the last of that veneer or that shell kind of cracking. Like you, how how cynical can you be when you're when you're watching when you're flying in this space? I mean, come mm. on. Uh, Virginia, there are a lot of time jumps in this show and episode five has the first you know major time jump with them going two years into the future. Um, we know that because we've watched the whole series, there's going to be even bigger time jumps to come. Do you feel mm. like these jumps work or, or do they sort of make you feel cheated that you didn't get to see what happened in those intervening years? The first time I watched this and it made that jump, I was like, wait, 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 wait. What just <laughs> happened in these two? I need, how do we get the, the module up there? Like, was there extra space stuff involved? Like, how did Margot calculate? Like, I had so many questions. So many questions. And it could have been solved by like having a newsreel in the back saying like, oh, they found the ice. And so now they're going to increase their efforts of like just some sort of explanation instead of like, we found the ice and now here's Jamestown base. Like I need something in that two years, mm. anything. So yeah, for me, it was like, I did not like that. And it, because it wasn't, it wasn't a clean break, like at a season episode or a season ending. Cause those time jumps, I can kind of understand however many months or years into the future. Cause it's like a, a clean break. This was just randomly at the end of an episode. Yeah. <laughs> John, I see you smiling. Yeah. It didn't bother me at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't bother me. Well, I mean, like, because 
I, th I think my my rationale was these things would take a long time. You know, if they, if they if the, and and you're right, they could have done the newsreel, and they do do that from time to time. They do mm -hmm. that often. Yeah. Um, but I don't I didn't like. I am fine fast forwarding to hey, there's this cool thing that we might be doing. To hey, we're about to do this cool thing. Like I don't need to, you know, I don't want I don't want to sit and watch them do math. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm fine with. I'm fine with just knowing that the math took place, but I. But I. I understand where you're coming from, Virginia. But it. It didn't bother me. Scott, because I feel. I feel like. I feel like they. I feel like they do enough. They do a really good job actually filling in the gaps when you get to the future, where they might make a mention of something or in the past tense, and and right. any question mm -hmm. that you have is answered. Mm -hmm. Scott, what about you? I. I love them. I really enjoyed the all the time jumps that we get. I I tend to really enjoy them. There are a few aspects that I don't love, and we'll talk about them in in future episodes. But this this first one, uh, it did take me by surprise. I didn't see it coming, but it just made me that much more excited for the next episode. Mm. While yes, I knew that I would have to accept. Okay, we just jumped. A couple of years into the future so and there clearly have been technological advancements at nasa to allow them to send an entire base in one piece uh -huh, uh -huh. but also knowing that this scene that we were watching took place years after the scene just you know one minute before was enough of an explanation that i can just as i said on our last episode just let the story take me where it wants to take me so I just rode the time jump wave and said, okay, show me what you got now. <laughs> now I don't have to, I don't have to wait two, three seasons to get to the scene. It's here right now. And I guess it also does set the stage for the, I guess it prepares us for the even bigger time jumps that are to come. Mm -hmm. So it was a good little. Yeah. I was more prepared later on yeah. this one. I was just like, <laughs> how dare you? Please yeah. do not. <laughs> And after thinking about it, I realized that a, a time jump like this uh, in a show that was developed by Ron Moore, if there's stuff that happened in those intervening years that we need to know about, we're going to find out about it. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be left a big mystery. We'll get the answers that we need and we'll get it in most likely a fairly clever way. So I wasn't worried. All right. Is there anything else in these uh, three episodes that uh, any of you wanted to discuss? Ed's a terrible father. Yeah, he is. Yeah, okay. He has no patience for his child. He has no yeah. patience for his child. Well, I mean, I guess a little bit to his credit, he does acknowledge that he's a bad dad and he does feel bad about it. Like when he's talking to Molly later on, he's like, wow, I just I just got angry. I don't know what that's about. So even though yeah. he's he never becomes a better father, I guess... <laughs> No, knowing you have a flaw is better than not knowing, even if you can't fix it. I guess. I think he. I think he does become a better father later. Does he? Go on. Go ahead. I mean, we're not. We're not at that episode. We're not on those episodes yet. I'm just saying. I, I better than this. Yes. Is he perfect? No. <laughs> but but like again, that's that's one of the things the show does so well is that these characters are human they're for the most part they're all good people 
but they have a thing like you know I know a lot of people good people I know a lot of good people who are also on occasion assholes <laughs> I count my I count myself among them <laughs> like you know there's there's or or there's one aspect of your personality that's just like you know there's one obsession or there's one pet peeve or there's just something that always triggers you and Ed is a great dude in a lot of ways he's a very good friend he tries to be a good husband he's dedicated to the space program and he falls down being a dad he's not patient he's not empathetic in this aspect or 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 you know what it is it, the same things that make him good at those other things don't work for him as a dad because he needs to be tough and stern and committed and you know maybe a little reckless as a test pilot and as an astronaut and uh, regimented being in the military and like strictly by the book and like all those things that work in the rest of his life. He, he's not, he's not great at striking that balance of, of which aspects to take into uh, parenting. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> and like, it's tough. It is tough to be a dad, you know, Indeed, yeah. especially yeah. I imagine in the sixties when like everything was repressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good point that in the 60s, there probably was not as much of an expectation on a man to be as present as a father, mm-hmm. if at all. Hell, even in the 80s, uh, wasn't yeah. Really <laughs> yeah, no. no, not that I'm traumatized or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the feeling, particularly in the scene that we're discussing with um, Ed trying to teach Shane how to ride a bike, that was an example of one of several examples of ed allowing things that are bothering him to just flow unrestrained mm-hmm. out upon anyone who happens to be in front of him if i remember correctly the timeline of events i think that teaching shane how to ride the bike was uh i think not terribly long after the simulator accident that killed patty mm-hmm. Uh, so he's uh, he's upset about that it, uh, after three seasons it's hard to keep track of all the different things that any particular character can be upset about but it's things going on at work that bother ed and that are making him upset and one of his one of his biggest weaknesses or drawbacks is that he will pour out that internal stress to whoever he's talking to doesn't matter the situation doesn't matter that it's his young son who you know none of this is his fault he's trying his best and he doesn't realize that having done this for years his son is frightened of him but he doesn't see that he just mm-hmm. keeps on on pushing to to just don't be sorry just just ride the damn bike already mm-hmm. be perfect be perfect right out the gate like i'm supposed to be well, i just told you how to do it why aren't you doing it? Just like I told you how to do it two seconds because ago. Because that's how he trains the astronauts. Yeah, like, exactly. He's, he's, treating them, yeah. he's treating them like a cadet and not a kid. Yeah. Okay, John, you said you you maybe had a few things to say about what we discussed uh, last week. Do you want to chime in? Yes, please. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, and, it's, and it's really just like, um, just various things that Rick said. And I... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't remember what the first thing was or something I disagreed with, but he, it was, we were also talking about Ed or you were also talking about Ed and uh, Rick 
said something to the degree of um, Ed is the star of the show, so he has plot armor. Uh, if you are watching this show, do not presume that anyone on the show has plot armor. Agreed. That's, no. That that no. that is that is one of the things that is uh, best and worst about this show is that it is realistic in the sense that you never really like no one that you may uh, come to admire and even fall in love with is guaranteed to be safe on this show because they all live very dangerous lives. Yes. Yeah, and even if they survive, it doesn't mean that they're going to take a path that you want them to take. Mm -hmm. this, the, yeah. yeah, this this show is so well written in that the the twists and turns are all legit. Like they're all earned. Like nobody does anything that I don't that does that's completely out of character. Even if it's not what you want them to do or think they might do, nothing at least that I can think of is out of place. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really well written show. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Um, John, do you have anything to plug? Um, Captain Game Show. It's the Trivia Wordplay podcast on this network, the Infant Potato Alliance. Um, I am the host. All of these fine people have been guests so more recently than others. It, it's, it's been a while since a new episode has come out. But um, take this time to familiarize yourself with the uh, madcap shenanigans that occur on the show before the new episode comes out probably later this week. Okay, Virginia? You can find me on Wait You've Never Seen, which is also a show on this network. Um, currently, my co-host and I are watching Doctor Who in River Song's timeline order because he's never seen Doctor Who. It's a lot of fun. We're only three episodes in, two or three episodes in, so not much to catch up on. So you should join us. And Scott? Uh, I can be found in various places on this network, including as the host of that Star Trek podcast, where we generally discuss the most recent episode of whatever series of Star Trek happens to be airing at the time. In addition to podcast work, I invite everyone to please come check out my website for my graphic art side business, which can be found at www.planetrisecreative.com. And you can find me at superanemic.com, where I post weekly comic recaps of Star Trek episodes. And with that, we say bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. And they're making a mockery of what you do. Well, you're probably right. Yeah. Of course you're right. You're 100% right. You've got to be kidding me. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you for listening to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast on the Infinite Potato Alliance. For more great shows, please go to infinitepotato.com. Our theme music is Small Victory by Steve Combs, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. You can find more of his music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Steve underscore Combs. <laughs>